Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bolton eBikes podcast. As most of you know, this is a great place to learn about electric bikes. Whether you're interested in buying an electric bike, you already have one, you're just learning more information about e-bikes, we get all sorts of different people on the show. So today I've got another special guest. I've got Benjamin from a company called Driven Bikes. So let's get into another episode. So Benjamin, you have a company called Driven Bikes, and but I want to jump back a little bit and just kind of hear a little bit of your background uh, experience with e-bikes. Where did you first get into them? Great question. I, the, uh, I think I started where a lot of people started, and I uh, started an Indiegogo campaign with Saunders. Okay. And I bought, I think it was day two, and I think I was the, you know, in the 70s of people that bought. Oh, so really early on. <laughs> Really early on. And I mean, the first campaign, it was, uh, I want to say like a March 12th buy. They promised, I think it was like a June, July delivery. Uh, when I ordered, I thought it was, you know, it was a good $4.99 for 200 shipping. And, you know, it's something to try. It was worth the risk. It looked like a um, promising campaign. And so I ordered and then I waited and June came and went and July came and went. And come mid-August, I thought it was a scam. <laughs> oh, no. I thought my money was gone. I didn't think it was coming. I thought there was zero chance. I tried to contact him a couple of times, didn't get any response. And then I sort of resigned to the fact that I lost my money. And then I think the August 29th, it showed up on my doorstep. Oh, nice. And then August 30th at 6 a.m., I rode, I took my first e-bike ride and I fell in love. Gotcha. So that was the end of it from there. <laughs> it was all downhill, as they say. It was. And then I, I bought, uh, every time they came out with a model with one upgrade or two upgrades, I'd buy it. When they came out with a thin tire bike, I thought it was going to be amazing. I bought it. I rode it about three miles. And I turned around, went home and sold it. That was the beginning. And even when I when I was going through my, my Saunders phase, I uh, ordered parts from you to upgrade a few things. And I realized most haste that I upgraded you know, the motor, the controller, the battery, everything I could. But I didn't upgrade the brakes. And that was a, a horrible experience for me to find out that brakes were more important than the motor. <laughs> yeah, I usually kind of recommend those hand in hand. You're going to upgrade or make it faster. Let's make in, make sure it can stop first, too. <laughs> so, yeah, important lesson to learn. Hopefully it wasn't a dangerous or painful lesson. It was easy enough. It was, uh, you know, scary for a minute. However, I was fine. Okay. But yeah, 160 millimeter disc brakes on a... 60-pound bike going 30 miles an hour aren't... Not quite enough. Correct, correct. And so you, you learn, and it's the last thing you think about it. You most, you know, a lot of guys, faster, faster. Right. And then after the fact, I realized I should uh, make sure that the complete bike and, and all the parts and pieces are matched and it's appropriately speeded for what to ride. For sure. Now, after you started modifying bikes, I'm curious, how did you go from that to where you are now where you have an e-bike company and you're selling bikes. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> I love the Saunders, but I wanted something more. And I, I, I probably bought, I bought dozens of them. I kept thinking like one of the thin came out, I thought that was going to be the bike of bikes because I thought it was going to be light and fast and appropriate, but it was just too hard of a ride and too bouncy. So I needed, for me and my size, I wanted something with comfort and a soft ride. And I went to the store, my local uh, uh, bike store, and I looked at all the bikes and Half of them didn't have throttles, which was a deal breaker for me. You know, if I'm, you know, if I'm going to run into the beach, going to a friend's house, going to the grocery store, I want a throttle. And I enjoy riding a mid-drive for exercise, but as a functional vehicle, it's just not as useful to me. And I do have mid-drive bikes. And I do ride mid-drive bikes. Just 
there and back. I don't usually take them to the grocery store to buy food and to the restaurant or the bar. But uh, when I went to buy my second, I went to a couple different places and I just couldn't find a bike I liked. And I wanted, uh, for me, I wanted an upright riding position, usually 12 miles in on my Saunders rides. My hands would fall asleep. My back would get a little sore. And so I'd, I'd have to stretch, start stretching my hands. And, uh, you know, just riding no handed for a while just to get my feeling back in my hand. So I realized I need something upright riding position and I wanted it, you know, a little bit more power, a little bigger brakes, even something as simple as the sprocket Saunders out of the box. Sometimes if I left it in the box for a month in my garage, when I pulled it out of the box, it'd be half rusted. And so like a stainless steel sprocket for most people, most people don't need or care or even talk about. But for me, it was, you know, embarrassing to see a little rust you know on a brand new bike yeah and that makes sense in certain areas uh we've got more salty air and they're more susceptible and on the coast and florida and different places but yeah that's that's definitely something i've seen over the years depending on the bike too some (laughs) some don't do as well in those conditions as others yeah and then for me because i did ride no-handed a lot for some reason one of the most important parts for me on the bike was tires that i could ride no-handed track straight and I found out a lot of the bikes, I always loved putting suspension forks on some of the bikes, but some of the geometry of the bike, it would change the steering angle. Once it changed the steering angle, you couldn't ride no-handed. And granted, riding no-handed is not, you know, the best thing to do, but when your hand falls asleep and it's tingling. <laughs> you want to. Besides pulling, over and, yeah, besides pulling over and hanging out for a minute, you, you did it. But yeah, so like tires, uh, my first set of bikes I bought, I bought eight bikes. On my like second ride, I had uh, Juggernauts. The original one, not the sport, and then uh, I got a flat tire. And then, like my fourth bike and my fifth ride, I got another flat tire. And so I, I kept changing tires to finally I get something I really wanted. I wanted something that tracks straight, quiet, you know, not a lot of noise, but enough traction where if you even some of the smooth ones, you ride in wet grass and spin out on you. And so I wanted just a, a moderate amount of traction, but something that would was an overall good tire. And so it took me a while to I went I burned through a lot of different tires were fun. The Grand Canyon is my favorite, and then um, the uh, Juggernaut Sport's decent, um, a decent overall tire as well. Okay, this is good. I like this. You're changing things or testing things based on what is or isn't working, and most of the things you're talking about are the things people ask me all about is comfort. <laughs> that's a big deal, because if you can't comfortably ride it, then it's no fun anymore, and that's what these are for, is fun. Yeah, the uh, one of the tires I bought, I thought it was the end-all tire, but it was um, the surface was all fixed all the way around. There was no gaps. And so when you overfilled it just a little bit, you could feel the seam. And so, you know, like a dunk, dunk, dunk. And then you lowered it and it went away. But the uh, at first I was trying to, that tire came from Thailand, and I was going to order, you know, like 500 tires and ship them to China. And then I learned uh, that was a no-no and pull <laughs> off that trick. <laughs> there's uh, Yes, there's a lot of challenges. I've... Uh... I've had some tires shipped from other countries to China and tried different things. And uh, yeah, it's it gets tricky and complicated sometimes. <laughs> we learn, right? Yeah. Have you had any success importing stuff into China? I have to some degree. In other businesses and things, I've exported products from the US to China and occasionally still do with certain things. Surprisingly, <laughs> who would have thought shipping stuff and making it in the US and sending it to China? There are certain tire companies that are not in China that are actually very popular. V-Tire is one of those, and I actually did have some of their tires sent over to China once. That way we could have them available for bikes because it makes more sense to have it assembled there. Thankfully, they have, I'm pretty sure this is a recent change, they've actually opened up a manufacturing facility in China now too, so that way we don't have to import 
that brand or certain models of tires from one country to another because you get hit with a tariff going from one international country to another and then you've got still shipping over to the US and it's just adding expenses and they're kind of piling up all along the way. So so we have done that a little bit for certain parts. And then there's other parts where it's like, ah, oh, that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> we just can't do that. A couple of my suppliers just pretty much told me, don't even think about it. So, you know, and <laughs> I can always, when it gets here, I can, you know, upgrade or update it. But it would, right. it would, it would be nice to have the ability to customize everything. And the, the other thing I found is some of the other, my seat's a good, great seat and a couple other seats I buy are nice. But I generally like the Taiwanese seats better. And that was difficult for me, too. Right. It's always a challenge when you're trying to make the bike just perfect. And it's like, oh, well, eight out of 10 of the parts are available. This one's available in another country. And it just, the whole supply chain logistics uh, gets interesting, which it sounds like you've been having lots of fun experiences with. So the first eight bikes, I'm curious, I know I'm jumping back a little. Did you buy those from a supplier in the US or did you go overseas right off the bat and find somebody to make those for you? Supplier over the seas right off the bat and to tell you the truth, I'm not sure I knew exactly what I I bought some thin tire and some fat tire. The fat tires were perfect. I love them. The thin tires were underpowered, uh, underbraked. It was a learning experience for me. I I like, besides the tire, I like the bike and almost everything about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I bought all all eight were black, of course. I didn't, you know, try to get too creative with it. Right. And that I learned that was that was a liability because generally selling to men, uh, you know, I have guys come in and say, I want a silver bike, all I have is black, I'll take it. You know, I want a black bike, all I have is red, I'll take it. But with women, it was that that didn't that answer didn't happen all the time. So <laughs> I, I learned you have to have a little more creativity when you're uh, selling to the females. Yeah, I certainly know exactly what you're talking about. I've got a lot of people, you know, this bike is everything I want. It's not the right color, so it's not really what I wanted, but everything else is good, so I'll take it. I don't care that it's black. And then every once in a while, yeah, I've got uh, male or female. I've had both where it's like, ah, that's perfect, except it's the wrong color, so I'm not going to buy it. (laughs) And they will even uh, (laughs) say, I'll wait months even sometimes for the next batch if it's going to have a different color. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm getting that a fair amount right now (laughs) because I introduced the Blackbird models which previously we had in multiple colors to try and catch up on manufacturing and everything. We just went with straight black on the next two production runs to try and cut down the lead time and just uncomplicate things. And unfortunately, I have a few people I know, I'm sorry, they're disappointed that we don't have some of those nice blue and other colors, but uh, it's what we got to do right now until we catch up. So I understand your, your pain. Yeah, I actually did my first custom paint job two-tone it's uh black and red nice uh the fenders have a stripe and then the inside of the uh rear wheel cage is all red and the seat post stem is half red half black and so the custom job however if they would have told me up front that i lose six to seven weeks of production time due to paint waiting for that i probably wouldn't have done it (laughs) yeah that's (laughs) that's a long lead time between one color and another it's it's hard to make those decisions sometimes yeah, and they, it, up front, I wasn't notified of that. And I knew I expected a week, two weeks, but they had to build a, you know, a paint template. And then, um, and then they had to, you know, somewhere in the, I was in the production schedule, but because it was more difficult, I was further down the line it, with the more difficult frame. The, the, there's one guy that prints all the colors and there's a couple guys that print the custom ones. So. Yeah. And it is was, this a, a bike that you have coming up? It is. Okay. It's a dock side. I'll have to send you a picture. Gotcha. Well, that's cool. That sounds awesome, the way you just described it, kind of a black and red uh, 
combo with some stripes and everything. I do love some of the, the custom paint jobs, and I wish I had the time to just custom paint frames and do all that fancy stuff, but it's the time. That's always a challenge, trying to find the time to squeeze it in, whether I'm doing it or somebody overseas is doing it. Somebody has to spend more time uh, and effort putting those custom paint jobs together. It makes you have a greater appreciation for those bikes that do have the custom paint jobs when you see them. Yeah, I did um, custom painted forks. They look like uh, brushed stainless, stainless steel uh, on my vintage. And the uh, Just two long down forks, because I like the way it looked. I did wait. I think I waited an extra week and a half, but it just one color. It wasn't a two color mix. And so I painted those stainless steel. And then the first like five customers that ever bikes said, oh, I'm going to wait for the black one. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, no. all, all the previous ones were black. And then I'm like, ah, oh, is this going to bite me? And then most people bought it. And then, so the next order, I ordered black forks, and the first guy calls and says, can I get the stainless? And so, there eh, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to know what people are going to want uh, color-wise. It's it's always so difficult to, to guess what's going to happen next. I think in the future, my winter orders, where you have as much time as you really need, the Chopin Spring uh, will be a little more custom. And then the summer orders that deliver mid-summer, I mean, they're going to be as simple as possible to get faster turnaround. Cause Right now, the turnaround is a huge problem, and I have a lot of patient people waiting, and some days I feel bad for them. Now, that's a good question I have for you, and I, I think I know from uh, our conversation, but how how are things going keeping up-wise with bikes? Do you even have enough bikes to sell? No, I uh, essentially my March order got delayed till mid-May, and so when it came, it all of it sold in two weeks. About a third of it was back-ordered. The next order that should have delivered in May is now pushing to the end of June or the beginning of July. And then it looks like two of my July orders will ship and deliver in July, hopefully. I'm out of stock, uh, no inventory, which is tragic because it's nice to have a fleet of bikes to ride every morning. But currently, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm almost bikeless. Are you reserving some bikes just for like demo test ride bikes that you just refuse to sell? Or if somebody comes in, do you let it go and you're sad that it's gone but you let it go because they really want it i'm curious right now i'm holding just a couple uh showroom bikes just so somebody has something to ride but just something to feel the electronics feel the power a base model step through bike that people right now the guy today offered me you know i'll pay extra i want this bike i want it today i need it you know for the weekend i said i can't you know i just i can't have nothing in stock (laughs) uh, for people to touch and feel and so and he did buy uh, a different bike I had, but he also he wanted a second, and I just said the, the one. But it, I feel guilty. And granted, <laughs> as soon as the boat's in the water and I have a delivery date, I'll let that one go. You know, so when, if I'm a couple of days out, I'm fine. But I don't want to be with three weeks without a bike. I just want the people to know that are listening to this podcast. If if you go into a bike shop right now, that's in this situation <laughs> that Benjamin is in, and I'm in and they have a bike on the floor, they let you ride it, but they won't sell it to you. They're just trying to do what's best for everyone. (laughs) We just want to have at least one bike somebody can test ride, so that way we don't have to send people away without even getting the experience of an electric bike at all. Because I'm going to guess it's probably the same for you as it is for me. Most of the people that stop by and want to take an e-bike for a spin have never ridden one before. Maybe they got to ride a friend's or something, but the majority, I feel like, just recently heard about e-bikes. They've never been on one, and they just want to see what it's like so they know if they should buy one. And if I have zero bikes, 
that makes it very difficult to give them that experience. So I have been the bad guy lately, and I've been uh, not selling my demo models to people that come in the shop. I had a lady recently who kind of gave me the the teary, like crying uh, face with her hands and her fists and everything as she drove away. <laughs> but uh, I had to say, I'm sorry, I, I, you can't have it. I have to keep it for, for the next person who comes in or the next person or the next person for the next month or so until that bike is back in stock and I can actually sell you one. Uh, it's hard to turn people away in that case, but we're doing it for the benefit of everybody. I promise. Yeah. And I think some of it is psychology because with that one left, I had somebody ride, uh, a couple ride at one bike and they both rode the one bike and it was a step through and he said he wanted to step over and she wanted to step through. And as he was leaving, he goes, I'd really be happy me with a step through this bike, this color, this style, this bike <laughs> yeah. right now. Are you sure you don't want to sell it? And I was like, trust me, I'm going to get the bike you really wanted. No, now I want this bike. And so yeah. emotionally it's hard to get him off of it, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, in, the, the minute the boat's closed, you can have it. But until then, I, I mean, that's all I have, which is a good problem. To have, but normally he'd have about 300 bikes in stock. For getting kids' bikes and a couple specialty bikes, he's got about six pedal bikes and nine electric bikes on his floor, and he should have 300. But all where the traditional bikes go are all his service bikes, and he's got 350 bikes in for service. Everywhere you look, there's service bikes. And because he put them on the racks, below and above the racks, when you walk in, the bike store is full, but it's all <laughs> service bikes. Yeah, somebody probably like, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. Sorry. And I have that happen to me too. They're like, I'll, tip, I'll buy that one. I'm like, you, well, that's another customer's bike. You can't have it. <laughs> How far out until your next order? You know, it depends on the model since we are using different suppliers for different models. I like to mix things up a bit. Uh, keeps me on my toes and everybody else. But the furthest out that we've got is the second batch of the Blackbird bike. So we had a batch that was scheduled for August. They sold out in a few days. And then the next batch, we did an even bigger batch. I was like, okay, we apparently need more. So those are now sold out until September. So if somebody orders one today, it's going to be September until they actually get it. And probably in the next month or maybe weeks, that batch is going to be sold out. So if somebody tries to wait until September to buy one, who knows how far out we're going to be at that point. And then on other models, we've got some showing up maybe in the next month or so. I think everything I've got showing up in June at the end of this month, maybe I've got enough bikes I can count on one hand still available for delivery this month. But who knows if they'll be available by the time they show up. So there might be a few lucky people if you're listening. Go see what's coming at the end of June. Maybe you'll get a bike in a few weeks. But if you don't get one of those, it's, it could be months depending on what model it is. That's just the state of e-bikes or bicycles in general right now. Everybody's realizing how much fun they are and they want one. Yeah, you're you're uh, doing better than I. The uh, I do have some bikes coming in June, but they're all sold. And then the uh, first order in July, I do have a little bit of room, but most of them are sold. So it's a uh, bigger liability. I mean, it's a good problem to have. However, uh, I would like to have... Uh, You'd like to have some bikes on hand. Yeah, and, and ready to ship bikes. It's disappointing, but hopefully um, uh, with everything coming in, at least catch up and everybody gets what they're looking for. Yeah, and I think for anybody that's looking for bikes, and then uh, I'll let you ask a question there, just keep that in mind that no matter where you're buying a bike from, there's a very good chance right now you're going to have to pre-order or back order, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case until the end of this year. Because I'd be very surprised if everybody catches up by then. That would 
be a little bit shocking to me just because everybody's backlogged from what I'm hearing. Uh, I'm just curious. We've been talking a lot about bikes and how I, I got to know you is parts, controllers and LCDs and uh, uh, hydraulic brake calipers. What's the hot new product on the market? Are you seeing something <laughs> like, I was really impressed with the line pull hydraulic caliper. It was a great fix. It gives you the reliability and consistency of the mechanical brake and uh, a little more pressure of the hydraulic. Any other products come out that are hot and exciting? Excellent question. When I released those Juintech hydraulic kind of hybrid mechanical hydraulic calipers, I uh, wasn't sure if they were going to sell very well or not. In my mind, I was like, this is a perfect thing for e-bikes because it makes it possible to make just about any e-bike with mechanical brakes have better brakes and they'll work. But those have been selling very well and very consistently. And honestly, we would just we just keep bringing them in on a regular basis and we're, we're keeping them in stock, but barely. <laughs> so thankfully those didn't get slowed down as much as bikes are right now. Uh, the Rad Power upgrade kits, so the controller and LCD screens for the Rad Power bikes uh, have been a very big seller. Those are backlogged into July right now. So it's kind of like bikes, production slowed and demand increased quite substantially at the same time. And I have some other upgrade kits in the works for other brands of bikes. So stay tuned for that. If you have a different brand that's popular and you are looking for a little more power. Uh, So I'm sure we'll keep those going. Uh, I think one of the things that's going to be a hot seller, and I could be wrong, but I'm going to, I'm trying it. (laughs) We're going to see what happens. That's what I do. I just try it and we, we run with it. And if nobody wants it, they don't want it, but hopefully they do, is I recently announced just for the Blackbird model of the bike a a seat dropper post. So that's going to come standard on the bike. And the only reason I'll be honest, I'm not offering that seat dropper just by itself right now uh, is because the factory's backlogged like everything. So it's a little bit trickier for us to get that seat post made in different seat post diameters. And as you are probably well aware, Every e-bike or bicycle that out that is out there is using a slightly different diameter of seat post. They might be 27.2 millimeters, it might be 28, might be 30. So it's kind of like, okay, which sizes do we need? But I think that's going to be a big one because the seat droppers have been really geared and advertised toward mountain bikers. And I guess I, sh- I should have asked, are you familiar with the seat post? I'm assuming you are, but I didn't even ask that. Yeah, and that's a skilled mountain biker. That's not the average mountain biker product. Right. But yeah, no, it's, uh, they're great products and they're on a lot of the high-end bikes. I'm not sure the average rider is going to be interested, but somebody that likes jumping and climbing, it's a necessity. So for those that don't know what I'm talking about and are really confused right now, that's okay because most people don't know what this is. A seat dropper post, basically, there's two different ways you can do it, but it's a seat post and it can move up and down at the push of a button. The kind of higher end, nice ones, the button can be up on the handlebars. The ones I'm putting on my Blackbird bikes are much more reasonably priced, and the button is on the seat itself, so you kind of have to have one hand off the handlebar to push the button. But it allows the seat post to go up and down while you're riding to a set height or set. uh, It can go all the way down or all the way up to a certain point. Like Benjamin said, usually they're used for mountain bikers. Let's say you're going down a really steep hill and you need to get your weight over the back tire and kind of get down to where your balance is right. So for very technical 
mountain biking, downhill jumps, rocks, different stuff. It kind of makes sense to be able to move your seat down on occasion and have some more clearance, get your weight where you need it to be. And then when you get back onto a flat stretch, you push a button and your seat comes back up. But I thought with all of the people buying e-bikes, at least from me, most of them are not doing that type of technical riding. They would never use it for that. But what they would use it for is putting the seat all the way down, making it easy to swing their leg over a bike, get on, get riding, and then push the button and get the seat up into a comfortable position. Because one of the things that I see all the time from people who haven't ridden a bike in a long time is they want to be able to sit on the seat with their feet flat on the ground. And that's not possible if you've got the seat at the right position and get your leg extension correct. Their geometry of e-bikes are just not made that way, uh, or bikes in general. But if you can have a seat dropper and have the seat low, you can sit on the seat, get moving, then lift the seat up, get it into the right position, and then you can lower it down before you stop again. So it's a totally different thing than what it was originally designed for. But I think that's going to be a very popular item in the future. That's my guess and my prediction. So there, there's a long-winded answer to your question. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> but that is my prediction for the next hot item for electric bikes is a seat dropper post when it's used for comfort and not for technical riding. So there you have it. And who knows? And I, like I said, I'm taking a risk by buying a bunch of these and putting them on one of my bike models. And so far, the reception has been very good. But as that's a pre-order, no one's actually ever used it yet that's bought that bike. <laughs> so uh, I will get feedback once those start going out and we'll know what do they think about it and how do they like it. I think there's some tweaks or improvements that could be made to make it better for that type of use, but I'm kind of throwing my cards on the table and saying I'm going to give it a shot and see what happens. Do you have a 27.2 coming in? Uh, the size of the seat post? Yeah. I believe it's going to be a 30.4. You caught me off guard asking that question. I was going to order one. <laughs> on the Blackbird bikes, we had two different size seat posts between the, the smaller bike and the bigger bike in the frame sizes. So that's one of the production changes we had to make. We actually changed the frame to have the same seat post diameter between both sizes. That way we could use the same seat post, speed up production, all that fun stuff. So little, little tweaks uh, that take months of planning to make that happen. Yeah, I have a custom train bike coming in, and it's, I lowered the seat post one inch to compensate for the suspension seat post. And for even shorter people, they you know, get that much closer to the ground but uh, on a step-through bike. But it is an issue, and people do face it. When you're talking about I want to order one just because they want to try it out, <laughs> see what it feels like. See, I've already sold you on one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that application makes sense. And if they're never comfortable raising the seat, it doesn't matter. But if And, and maybe... You share a bike, two people have the bike, instead of lifting it up and down, somebody rides in the low position, somebody rides in the high position. Yeah, I think they're, that's a, a new product that found its way to bikes because of mountain biking, but I think it's going to find its way to e-bikes because of a totally different application. But we'll see. I could be totally wrong and people are like, I hate this thing, I don't like it, but I don't think so. I think they're going to love it because I've heard from mountain bikers, once you get a seat dropper, like you never go back to a regular seat post. You can't just see riding without one again. And the last mountain bike I bought, it was an option. And I was like, you know what? Everybody's talking about it. I'm going to try it. And here I am putting, you know, seat droppers on hundreds of bikes now. We'll see what happens. Uh, rough price point? On the seat post itself? Yeah. Well, I haven't set a price, but I'm just going to throw this out there and say it's probably going to be 
in the neighborhood of, I'm hoping I can keep it under $50. Wow, that's a great deal. For those that are wondering, how does that compare? Uh, I think the seat dropper I have on my mountain bike, it's a little bit nicer because the lever's on the handlebars as opposed to on the seat, uh, which is something you know I'm working on, but it's not something I can get done for these current production batches of bikes. So it's kind of like either go without it or go with the version we got. But that option I put on my bike was about $200. And I've seen these well, well above the $200 price range. $200 is kind of like almost like an entry level on the mountain bike. So a seat dropper under 50 bucks, I'm hoping is going to be just an eye-opening thing for a lot of people. And they're going to just say, wow, why didn't they bikes have this before? That is a bargain. I was guessing 150 so uh, you're surprised me. <laughs> Perfect. You're making me feel good. I'm going to turn the question around now because I want to know, because you said you wouldn't have guessed that, what do you think is going to be the next hot product for electric bikes? I mean, it's a tough question. I think uh, a lot of the products I see are preference products and not necessarily, uh, you know, some of it's style, but I mean, barefoot pedals, uh, you know, the minor things, removable rear baskets have always been a a necessity if you have a rack, you know, a lot of people like it. Uh, suspension seat post, I have a, a relatively short one because of the taller I go, the more people I lose because a lot of people don't have a big inseam. And so, but the, the bigger suspension seat posts have a, you know, a bigger range and a little more comfort in them. And so there is, um, there's a lot of products. I, I think I, the one product I saw recently that a customer bought one of my bikes was telling me about, it. I never heard about it before, but it was a, just a snap on rear taillight that was a brake light. It knew if you were braking and stopping, it, you know, it had a couple different modes and then it would, uh, it would automatically, if you were riding, it would turn on. And then when you stopped riding, it would turn off. And so, I mean, it had some technology to it and it was, I think it was 20 bucks, 30 bucks. Yeah. And it was, but the fact that it, it knows when you're braking, it knows when you're stopping and it had, I think it had one other feature, but it rechargeable and it was, it, it's smart if you're, especially if you're riding at night, you know, to have, um, something that has a lot of movement to it because you want people to see it. Yeah, I think so. I think we're going to start seeing more and more things like that. I'm trying to make headlights and taillights standard on all of my bikes going forward because it's kind of like they should just have it and be integrated in with the battery if possible. It's interesting you mentioned that because I released a video today about a rather fast bike. Some people would say that's not an electric bike. That's too fast. <laughs> but that you know, that's debatable. There's no such thing as the word too fast when it comes to electric bike. <laughs> there you go. That's what I say, right? It's it's still electric. It's still got two wheels. It counts. It's got pedals still. I've got one here, I'll admit, that doesn't have pedals. So I don't show that on my channel because uh, it kind of has to have pedals at least to be a bicycle. But it has a, a headlight and a taillight and then it has turn signals on it. And because it's kind of more of a moped style, you know, having more road fit features like a horn and those things make sense. Uh, but I was surprised. A bunch of the comments on the video, uh, of course, were about the speed. But then a bunch of the comments are like, I want that taillight thing with the turn signals. I think you might be onto something there that we might, seeing, uh, we might see a higher demand for more turn signals, brake lights, taillights, things that are just good for safety and things that are on cars and more standard vehicles. And as people realize that a bicycle can be used to replace their vehicle, they're going to want more of those kinds of features on them. Nice. How fast does it go, out of curiosity? Uh, the one that I released today, according to my GoPro GPS, there was, a, there was a brief moment where it got to just a hair over 50 miles an hour. Wow, that's fast. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not a slow bike by any means. It takes a lot of power to go that fast. It's crazy how, much, how many watts you have to start pumping up just to get another 10 miles an hour out of something, but... Uh, it is a lot of fun. I like it. 
definitely not for everyone. Not something that I let people come in and test ride. They can look, don't touch. Well, how many watts was it pulling? That's a 5,000 watt rear hub motor on that bike. And maybe if people are paying attention on my YouTube channel over the next month or two, I'll, I'll show off the other bike I mentioned. I haven't shown it in any videos online or otherwise. This is the first I've ever mentioned I even have it here. Some local people have asked about it, seen it kind of hiding in the back corner. They're like, hey, what's that thing over there? Uh, but I've got another one here that's a, a mid-drive, mid-mounted motor with a chain drive to the rear wheel and 6,000 watts. And that one will go a fair amount even faster than that. It's a lot of fun, but like I said, no pedals. So does it count at that point? <laughs> is it a specialty chain to take that kind of power? Uh, it is not a bicycle chain. Good question. It's not to the strength of a motorcycle chain because we're not running that kind of horsepower through it, but it is a thicker chain than what's normally on a, a bicycle. So a bit more stout than that, but it's, it's a cool looking little thing. It's carbon fiber frame and swing arm and it's it's a lot of fun but i'm still uh deciding what i'm gonna do with it other than just cruise around on it by myself <laughs> we'll see what happens <laughs> what's your primary bike my primary bike at the moment and i it's tough because you would think with all the bikes that i've got online that one of those online i would just keep and that would be mine but I have this crazy lime green bike with green tires. It's just a wild looking thing that I built several years ago with a BBSHD 1000 watt mid-drive motor. You know, it's got 100 millimeter wide rims, big fat tires on it. And I even had a crazy fork on the front that was definitely not standard by any means for a little while. I changed that to something a little bit more normal looking. But Right now, that's still the only bike I claim as mine, and that's what I use. I have taken one of these X15 bikes, the 5,000-watt ones, uh, and I, I used it to go back and forth to work to kind of try it out, and I think one of those is probably going to stay around the shop for me to use on occasion when I want to, <laughs> and that's a demo bike. So does that count as mine? I don't know. And then I do have the, the other 6,000-watt bike I mentioned that's something a little bit different. But as far as an electric bike, currently that kind of interesting green one is mine. I was very tempted to keep one of the Raptor bikes, and that's what is a Bafang Ultra 1,000-watt mid-drive motor, full suspension, like mountain bike with plus-size tires. It's a ton of fun. They handle really well. I really like mountain biking and single-track stuff, and that bike just handles that kind of riding really, really well. But it also has a big battery, and you could just commute to and from work with it kind of thing. And so it just can do everything. I really love it. I wanted to keep one here, and we didn't get enough of those to go around in the first batch. I had uh, more than one local person who really wanted the last one that I had here. So I just, uh, I finally, I did let it go to a local customer here. I'm hoping he can uh, come back and let us borrow it for some video footage before the next batch shows up or something. I might have been tempted to keep one of the Raptor models, so a full suspension plus tire mountain bike because of the handling and the full suspension aspect it was a lot of fun. Uh, but right now I've still got a mid-drive fat tire bike that is something I built before most of the current models even existed. How many miles on it? Ooh, that is an excellent question. I'll be honest, I don't keep track of the miles, and I've changed the display on it a few times, so I've lost the miles. So there might be a few hundred miles on the current display, 
previous to that, there might have been, I think, 500 miles on that one. I And before that, who knows? I wish I could tell you there's 5,000 miles on it, and that's how far I've ridden it, but I don't even know. It looks well-worn. It's getting beat up, that's for sure. Lime green tires, those are hard to find. Uh, yeah, I don't even know if uh, they were originally from V Tire. I don't even know if they make that anymore. The tire itself, I think, is still around in black, but the they had a few different colors available. They had like a pink tire, an orange tire, and a green one. Uh, and I got a few sets of those. But like I said, I don't know if they even make them anymore. So once they wear out, I might be out of luck. I might just have to go back to something normal for a while. Well, thank you very much. Uh, if people want to learn more about your bikes, because I know you mentioned some of your bikes, people may not be familiar with them. Where should they go to check out your website and see what you have for sale when it is available? Drivenbikes.com. And I do have an interesting selection, some new bikes coming out shortly, but they're not on the website yet. Um, the modified frames, a couple of things we talked about. Um, a fair showing of the current product catalog is there. Um, uh, no inventory on anything currently, but uh, early July is in the beginning, and the, hopefully by the end of July, I have a nice inventory levels. Cool. Well, I'm excited to see some of the new stuff, the the black and white, or excuse me, the black and red color combination, the custom paint job you mentioned earlier sounds pretty interesting. Uh, and for those who don't know, I have seen one of Benjamin's bikes here, the one he called the dock side. Uh, he was nice enough to send me one and so I could do a review on it and do a giveaway. And uh, thankfully, was able to find somebody local from the, the Paradise Fires that had their, their house burned down that I was able to give it to. And I know that guy's having a ton of fun with it. And he just loves the red paint job that was on that bike. So uh, I was very impressed with the, the quality for the price and everything that you had on that model. And uh, I'm hoping that people can see more. Absolutely. Yeah. As soon as I get some uh, boost inventory, you're, uh, you're on my list for sure for the next one. Oh, and I should mention, so that was the website. Geographically, why don't you tell people where you're located to in case they are in your area? Because I know we have people listening from all over. Costa Mesa, California. It's centrally located in Southern California, very close to John Wayne Airport. Awesome. So if you're Northern California, of course, you can always stop by Bolton e-bikes. But if you're in Southern California and you want to check out somebody who's more local to you, go check out Benjamin at drivenbikes.com. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to another episode. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And I really love talking to people who are doing things similar to what I'm doing with electric bikes. They're testing them, they're riding them, and they're just making good quality products. As you can tell, am I competitive in the e-bike space? Absolutely. I love to be competitive and make good bikes at good prices, but I'm not the only one. And I cannot sell all the bikes that people want, and I don't have all the different models that people want. So thankfully, there's guys like Benjamin out there who are also making great products that we can turn to. So if you are new to the podcast, make sure to go to ebikepodcast.com. You can sign up for email notifications and know when new episodes are coming out. Uh, and like I said, if you want to check out Benjamin's bikes, go to drivenbikes.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week. 